Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. We have families in this church whose children have been in the hospital in and out. Um, I got word on Friday night, Elijah and Brady Lovejoy, former staff members, now uh, pastors of Hope Mills, their son Bauer is um, hanging on for a thread with his life. Uh, it's, it's a very serious time for them, for us to pray. But perhaps there's probably a lot of us in the room that could say, you know, things aren't so bad. Um, maybe I need to lose a few pounds. I noticed Jason Myers made a comment about my weight in a previous sermon. Get him back. Maybe we need to watch less TV or be nice to our family members, but things aren't going so bad. The section of Luke chapter 13 speaks to us. So I hope we can see this in Luke 13. We will see what is repentance. Secondly, we will see what is why Jesus gives us this call to repentance. And thirdly, we'll see the patience of God. So what is repentance? Why we are called to repentance? And we'll see So most people assume um, repentance. You hear that term, repent. It's, it's like I, I've been taught. I need to say I'm sorry. We have, um, we have six children. Five of them we see. The sixth child, um, we don't see him. He's invisible. His name's Jonathan, and no offense to any Jonathans in the room. Um, he, he's an invisible person. He roams around our house. He takes things. <laughs> he causes things to disappear. He makes messes. I've seen dollars disappear from my wallet because of this invisible person. It's like a bad Bruce Willis movie character. <laughs> the worst thing he does is he even loses the remote control. And so naturally, I feel very sorry for our children who are falsely accused, <laughs> who are cruelly blamed for this nefarious, insidious work of this invisible person named Jonathan. Most people associate repentance with being caught. I've done something wrong behavior, and it's time to come clean. Change
is when you are faced with an ancient, predictable posture. Not just behavior, behavior is a symbol. But this ancient posture, here it is, that you and I can manage to live our lives without God. We can operate and live without God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't it fascinating that Moses, who the scriptures say is like a type of Jesus, before he was able to walk the Israelites out of years of oppression, said, who will go with me? Who are you, God? Who do I say that you are so that when I deliver the Israelites, they will go with me? It's possible to live our lives without God. And it is an attitude, and it's a modern sentiment of, I got this. So to hear about a call to repentance sounds school, sound school marmy. It sounds like that old woman who saw you smoking when you were in high school, and she yelled at you and pointed her finger, and she said, I'm going to tell your parents. Or you've been called to the principal's office. Have that call on your school microphone, please send so and so down to the office. Or when a friend or a dear relationship writes you or calls you or nowadays texts you and says, We need to talk. Don't you hate that feeling? Your heart just drops. David Brooks, who's a New York Times columnist, said this In a guilt culture, you know that you are good or bad by what your conscience feels. In a shame culture, you know you are good or bad by what your community says about you, by whether it honors or excludes you. In a guilt culture, people sometimes feel they do bad things. In a shame culture, social exclusion makes people feel they are bad. In fact, bad people are those who exclude. Unless you are excluding someone who is an excluder, then you are a virtuous person. He continues, the guilt culture can be harsh, but at least you can hate the sin and still love the sinner. The modern shame culture allegedly values inclusion and tolerance, but it can be strangely unmerciful to those who disagree to those who don't fit in. So we no longer feel guilty because we have become a shame culture. This is why the greatest problem for us is not inclusion or exclusion, but forsaking God. This is why we need to understand the call to repentance. In Luke chapter 13, we have this most amazing scene. Jesus is given a scenario by religious leaders and the scenario is probably self-justification on their part. So Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Jesus' day, had killed some of his, his Galilean political enemies while they were worshiping. Imagine, we've just heard about this recently in New Zealand, it seems to be happening more frequently. The conclusion of those who are asking this question to Jesus is this. Those people 
who were crucified, even in the context of their worship, even though they were Jewish and of the faith, they must have really deserved a cruel death. It's this age-old position. I get what I deserve. So God got them back. And to make the scene worse, he got them back with a pagan worshiper, a narcissist named Pontius Pilate. But Jesus does not let their school of theology prevail. He asked them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then Jesus does something pretty fascinating here. He ups the ante. He tells them a story, a modern story, a, a common newsworthy event about a tower in Siloam that fell on people accidentally. And so here's some people in, in um, this temple that got what they deserved from Pontius Pilate, according to the questioners. But here's some people who a tower fell on them, almost like an airplane dropping out of the sky, no fault of their own. Evil and tragedy has come upon them. Jesus says, do you think these people were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. Unless you too repent, you will perish. This is a stiff passage. Why did you all pick me for this? <laughs> Let me try and carefully state what Jesus is undermining for us so we can understand the depth of this passage and, and see our eyes open as the eyes of those listening. Here's what Jesus is saying. Whether you have done really bad things, you need to repent. And whether you think you are a good person and things are going well, you too need to repent. In other words, don't miss this. According to Jesus, <clears throat> repentance is for everyone. Repentance is for you and me seated here today. Repentance is the pathway to God. I'll explain this a little bit. You see, Jesus came preaching on the scene good news. Who doesn't want good news? The kingdom of God is at hand. He healed people. He did the unthinkable and he did the impossible. But he always said, repent and believe. His message was not just blessing. It was blessing through repentance. In Luke 13, Jesus is talking to people who hear these words and they think, as I am tempted, as some of you will probably be tempted, you know, repentance is for someone else. And I've got that person in mind. It's for really bad people. Right? Soccer moms don't need to repent. It's really for awful politicians, for dictators, for abusers. It's for greedy corporate CEOs who, who rip us all off. But in reality, everyone needs to repent. Even those who see bad people who need to repent and are getting away with it need to repent. Listen to Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong.
They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. This is a natural position that we hold. This is why Luke 13 speaks to us. Listen to what the psalmist says in understanding. Surely in vain, surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. And I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted. And every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Listen, when I try to understand all of this, until I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood their final destiny. Luke chapter 13 is a warning passage. Lest you perish. When things are going great, watch out. There's no more greater danger than when things are clicking for you. When your checkbook is full, Everyone's healthy. You've got that great thing. So if you're sitting here and things are good, repent. Wow. Couldn't we have a different preacher today? <laughs> no more important time to repent than things than when things are going well. You see, if you don't think see things this way, then here's how you and I are tempted to view success and health and blessing. You will view it as something you have earned rather than God's grace. The definition of grace, as you know, is unearned favor. Something given, not earned. Now, I'm not saying you should be apologizing when things are going well, or else the coffee hour will be awkward. How's life? Terrible. <laughs> Bankrupt. <laughs> Do not posture yourselves. You're not apologizing that God gives blessing, but you are living a life of repentance, and that life of repentance leads to gratitude. There's a blistering parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, one a religious leader and the other a dirtball. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, 
went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's see in this parable quickly. One man boasting of himself, and the other is pouring out his heart to God. One man saw his great need, and the other man saw his great self. The greatest problem for us is not when things are going bad, but when things are going good. During the good times, it is easy for self-righteousness to look like a spring flower. This is why I love the different seasons of the year. Lent is, as Benjamin reminded us, for people who have falling towers on them. Yes. On the whole, God does not pay us for our sins. That's death. It is why death is so ugly. It's so destructive. Death is a monster. No one escapes death. Whether it is tragic or you die in your sleep, death is a vicious reality we all face. Lent is also for people who things seem to be going right. They repent. There is no more important time to repent when things are going well. Wait, now, you might say, I thought repentance for, was for things I have done wrong. Actually, true repentance is turning from self-salvation. Gospel repentance is different from behavior. Martin Luther once said, all of life is repentance. Okay, so you might be going, all right, I'm, I can go with that, so help me to understand repentance. And, and I would use this illustration to describe it. Repentance is the moment when you are standing in a hallway and all the doors are closed and they're locked. And you are trying to open the doors. You are trying to get out of the hallway. And you realize all of them are locked and you are unable to open them. You don't have the power. You aren't good enough. You aren't smart enough. You aren't talented enough to open the door yourself. And when you realize that, suddenly a door opens. But it doesn't open until you realize you can't open it. And you cry out for the door to open. Repentance is a gift because when you become aware of repentance, you know you still have time. The call to repentance is the patience gracious call of God. This is why the parable Jesus finishes this Q&A with is such an encouragement to me personally. But it's an encouragement with a limit. Give me just a second. One more year on that. In my own dealing with repentance, I know two things are true. I need Lent, and I do not like it. My greatest struggle is that I would rather find my validation from the praise and opinions of others than from God. This great struggle, do I live my life for the praise and the glory of God, or do I want to be praised? And in the last year, and not just the season of Lent, I have found myself in a constant season of repentance. 
I have become more aware of this reality in me, and I hate it. And while becoming more aware of the patience and the love of God at the same time. This is why we see God's gracious patience to us. In verse 6, Jesus tells a parable. He says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. There are three people in this parable. There's the man who owns the vineyard. We would say that's our Heavenly Father. There's the person who's caring for the tree. That's Jesus. And there's the fig tree. In the Bible, the fig tree, the word fig tree phrase appears 64 times. It has two symbolic meanings. The fig tree is the nation of Israel. And the fig tree is the individual. So God, who is the landowner, he's the one who rightly expects to see fruit on his tree, Israel, and fruit on his tree, you and I. And he rightly and justly can decide to destroy it when he finds it. How long was the ministry of Jesus? Three years. So Jesus is saying, I've been here in Israel for three years. Let's give it one more year. Maybe his three years is 50 in your life. You might think, I have to change. I'm still not willing to change. Jesus is saying today, there's still more time. Lena called me a few months ago and said, can I borrow your truck? That's a dangerous thing to ask me. And I said, yes, do you have insurance? And she said, I do. And I said, okay, what are you going to do with my truck? And she said, I'm going to get fertilizer. I think it was alpaca manure, because we only use the best out here. <laughs> so she said, I need to use your truck. And I said, Lena, you are welcome to use my truck, but you get manure in the cab. We're going to have words. She said, I will not get alpaca manure in your cab. And she did not. She took pictures to prove it. She actually took her shoes off, threw them out of the bed, and climbed into the truck. It was great. I was very proud of her. <laughs> Jesus is saying, your life needs fertilizer. One more year. The gardener asks for more time from the landowner. What does he do? He fertilizes it. He throws manure on you. He buys time to see if repentance will come. Why does he do this? Because simply without repentance, fruit does not come. Gospel repentance is fruit. God desires mercy. Listen to this amazing verse, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret 
but worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow is the grief and the remorse that grows out of a realization that one has offended God by not meeting him or turning to him. Worldly sorrow, which we all experience, is the pain and regret over what has been afflicted on oneself and others. You might think this way, how have I offended God by not turning to him, by not loving him, by not trusting him? The lesson for the individual is that borrowed time is not permanent. God's patience has a limit. In the parable, the vineyard owner grants another year of life to save the tree. In the same way, God in his mercy grants us another day, another hour, another breath. Why does the landowner care so much about the fruit? You might say, well, you know, fruit is our deeds. It's the spiritual fruit. Not entirely. God cares about our works. But not for the same reason you would think. Because fruit that is produced means repentance has come. It is the sweet, sweet fruit of the gospel. Okay, wait, that doesn't answer my question. Why then does God want to see repentance? Without repentance, you don't see the need for the gospel. And without the gospel, you are stuck in self-justification. Without repentance, I don't see the gospel, and I am the Pharisee standing in the temple. And all my problems are other people's faults. Towers fall, they got what they deserved. Towers fall, life is unfair. We don't repent to feel bad about ourselves. We repent to feel great. Jesus Christ was the best man who ever lived and had the worst lot in life. In order to prevent the worst happening to us, Jesus got the worst <coughs> tower. See, he got a ton of bricks on him for me. The one who didn't need to repent got the very worst. But the one, me, you, who really needed to repent, we got his grace. One more year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.